0: Welcome to the Does Anything Matter podcast, where Patrick and Pepin talk about the most age-old question of does anything actually matter? Welcome to the damn podcast. I am your host, Pepin, and here's your other host, Patrick. How are you doing, Patrick? Excellent. Good to be here. And today, we also have a very special guest on. He is from We Need to Talk podcast, which I'm also a co-host on. This is Meter. How are you doing, Meter? I'm doing great, Nathan. Thank you so much. And uh, meter was on our last podcast as well, so, you know, he is a welcome guest, always amazing, very smart, and also sometimes cute. Wow, I'm blushing. I'm being way, way too, like, uh, I don't know, uh, nice today, so I need to tone it down. But today, the topic we're going to talk about is identity and personality and kind of the things that go into this. And I've been thinking about this a lot because I, I keep having these moments throughout my life where... I kind of forget who I am. It's like there's these sp- spots where, like, we all have these internal narratives about who we are, what we've done, and everything. And it's not like I'm having like a midlife crisis because I think that's different. That's where your identity is. You're like, oh shit, things have gone wrong. You know, who am I? What is everything? I need to get everything in order. This is more like, am I anything? Like, really? Because I do that every day. Okay. Okay. Explain. So, so when you say you do it every day i'm just saying
1: maybe i'm having a midlife crisis
0: ah ah. so so i've never had a very strong narrative sense of myself and I, i i you know to be fair and honest i have certain uh issues with what's called depersonalization and derealization so a lot of times things don't quite feel real and sometimes i think about people in my life and they're kind of like almost storybook characters and i'm like Am I really friends with this person? It's not like I'm asking whether that friendship exists or whether that stuff was real. It's just kind of like the concept in my head that I'm interacting with seems kind of like fictitious isn't a word, but it seems like non real. Like did that really happened almost like a dream. And I, I kind of question a lot about who I am or what I am or if I even exist to some degree. And I, you know, has anyone else had those kind of philosophical kind of, uh, Thoughts or those kind of conundrums, or is it just me? I've definitely had them. I mean, I've always kind of
1: referred to them as like lapses of clarity. For me, they're usually brief, it's just a moment where, like, I kind of ask myself similar questions like, do I exist or am I actually doing this right now? There's one time specifically I can remember when I was just driving to work when I used to work at uh, the Bedford Olive Garden, and I just looked to my left all of a sudden when I was driving and I saw the trees going by. And then, like, I look back at the road, and for a moment, I felt out of body. You know, like, I was watching myself drive. And that question was just in my mind. Like, why am I here right now driving, doing this? Why am I not someone else?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Meter, have you ever had any experience like that?
2: Um, I had a pretty pretty significant bout of depersonalization in college. Um, But... Uh, as a general rule, no, uh, I'm pretty, I'm, I stay pretty well in my own head.
0: Yeah, you have a, like interesting aspect to yourself because I, I remember we had this conversation back in a We Need to Talk podcast about dreams. And you're telling me about how you dream in third person in general, which I, I feel give a very strong sense of, you know, seeing yourself and seeing yourself act in the world. And I, I don't know if that lends itself to a strong narrative or what that might be exactly. A, any thoughts on that?
2: I, I'm i not sure either. Yeah, I do generally dream in third person almost exclusively. Um, it's rare for me to actually be in like a first person situation in a dream. Um, so I uh, maybe that's where I depersonalize is when I'm asleep, uh, which you know what, that's a pretty good place to do it.
0: See, I'm not certain. So this is just me, like uh, giving BS theory, but like I'm not certain if that is depersonalization or if that's like integration. Because in in a way, I think that like a a pure integration is seeing yourself on three different levels. It's seeing you yourself act in the world. It's kind of seeing yourself from a uh, other people's perspective, and it's also seeing. A third perspective of just like an outside point of view, like you know, not from our perspective, just just a general narrator, narrator camera. So all these perspectives kind of come into a, a single whole. And I say that because, like, it's not just important about how you perceive yourself, but you also are perceiving yourself how other perceive yourself, and that's that's the second kind of aspect to your perception, internal kind of uh, being. And it's sometimes when I am chatting with people, sometimes it's just like me. Acting and me doing things like right now, I'm very internal, I'm just very internally focused. But every once in a while, like uh, let's say I'm doing a stage presentation or something, it's almost like I'm doing all these motions and stuff, but I can also see like myself from a secondary point of view. Like it's almost like I'm floating outside myself as well. And I'm seeing how that is on that end. Can you relate to that, Patrick, or am I just talking crazy? I wouldn't say that that's happened recently,
1: it's definitely happened to me before, uh, but. I think the last time was several years ago. Mm -hmm. Have you had a strong inner narrative throughout your life? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, I would say when when I was a child, maybe. I mean, I used to have imaginary friends. And I guess those were projections of my thoughts because all the characters were different incarnations of myself. You know, like things that I pictured myself being. So I don't know if that's sort of the same thing as what you're talking about, but a lot of times I would kind of have these internal conversations. But again, I don't think in my adult life I've really experienced that.
0: Yeah, it's it's something where I wonder if there's something in childhood that kind of comes out and kind of gets internalized because a lot of societal, say, interactions are internalizations of things you learned in childhood. So it's important, I mean, th- this is an idea to think about, um, uh, So take your parents, like you kind of have your parents inside your brain as a sort of mental model. It's essentially, here's another example. Have you ever gotten into like a fight with like a friend or a girlfriend or something? And then all that day, you are kind of arguing with them in the back of your mind and you kind of know exactly what they're going to say. And so you just have this kind of conversation that happens like in a way, what your brain can do is it can take a person's personality, you know, per se, and it can put it into your brain and kind of like model it to some degree of accuracy. And then you can actually use this model to interact against and try to like, you know, figure out a way to further discussion or to kind of see what may be interesting. Or if you're in a, say, a point of conflict and let's say a point of conflict with your girlfriend, it gives you a way to Kind of know what your girlfriend's going to say before she says it, and it's kind of a way of doing that. And in a way, I think imagining friends and kind of playing with dolls and stuff like that when you're a child kind of is a outward, say, more literal um, application of that. But I think there's also in the internalized application that happens in adulthood. Like anyone relate to those experiences? I mean, yeah. If I'm having a fight with my wife, do I repeat it in my head?
1: Yeah, I do, and. What's interesting is when I'm thinking about what she did say, it's almost always wrong. But then when I try to predict what she's going to say, a lot of times I'm right. And I wonder
0: if that just has to do with our reaction to the stimulus around us. What do you mean by that? So when you predict, you're usually right in your head? Like a
1: lot of times it plays out to be similar to what she ends up saying. And I wonder if it's oh. almost like a, a subliminal experience, you know, like we've interacted with people like this or maybe this exact person enough times that it, this sort of mental avatar that you're talking about, your brain creates, is a close enough simulation that it almost seems real, right? Right. But that's also problematic if you want to get into how that plays out, because I can tell you, as somebody who's
0: been married for a while, it's not good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like when I have these conversations in my head, which is thankfully not very often, but every once in a while, I have these debates in my head with uh, people and the debates are always very complicated because it, essentially, no matter what I say, like this this internal voice, this internal monologue happening, or this like dialogue that's happening, I'm always wrong, and I can never come up with anything clever enough to actually convince this other voice. And you know, I understand this is you know a part of me preparing me for some sort of conversation I am to have, and what I'm gonna say, and what this person is gonna say in response, because you know it's important that you have your arguments and your kind of facts straight. But I never seem to have the ability to overcome this part of my brain, like the simulation of that person or that thing. And then what's always annoying is sometimes I think I have the right answer and then I approach that person and they come up with a bombshell out of nowhere. It's like, you know, you you think it's going to go this way, but then it doesn't end up that way at all. Or sometimes you so over-prepare and then you actually confront that person and then ends up it was nothing. Like it was was no big deal. Yeah. I mean,
1: I think that the result of that is problematic because if it turns out that you're right, then it is... It, it sort of reinforces the bias that you already had, which can cause a stronger reaction. But if it turns out that you're wrong, then you're not prepared for the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mita, do you do you a whole lot of preparation in your head for like say debates and that kind of stuff or argumentation or is it just kind of like spur of the moment? Because I, I have a hard time figuring that out with you.
2: I used to a lot more. Um, and then I, I realized that it's a waste of my time. Um, a lot for really, really important conversations, specifically, um, when I have to talk, do like a yearly review at my job or something like that, uh, I'll play those ones out with a few, two, three of the most likely scenarios. Um, but to get any further than that feels like, um, it's, it's just going to end up only, it's going to be more, more trouble than it's worth. It's going to cause more negative than it could positive. Um, you know, I, I figured one of three things are going to happen. And if anything outside of that happens, the chances that I'm going to be able to prepare for it, they're all equally like one in a hundred thousand, like why plan for all of the one in a hundred thousands when I can plan for the three most likely, and just leave it at that.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I agree with meter. I think I only prepare for conversations when I anticipate that they have a very significant impact. In particular, really, you know, just if I need to talk to my wife about something really important, like, you know, where there's something wrong with our finances, uh, or if there's something that she's doing that is negatively affecting me, but I think it's going to be a fight, right? I'll prepare for that. Or in, in the same kind of situation, Meter was saying, like, if I'm talking to an employee, and I have to do something that can affect their livelihood, you know, of course, I'm going
0: to prepare for that. But on the average, I wouldn't say I prepare. Hmm. hmm. See, I see. I, I don't know. I'm very strange. So I prepare for like arguments and debates and fights. Like if I ever have to confront somebody, I really prepare for that. And then, you know, I, I prepare for some drop interviews and stuff like that. But for the most part, I'm just like scared of the cuff. Like, I don't really think about what I'm saying. Like, uh, like right now, like I said, I'm not even kind of thinking about it and it's kind of a weird aspect for myself because there's been certain times where I have had moments of clarity where it's like my thinking is in tune with like the observing, the observational part of my brain. Like I feel like I'm one thing, but typically what I tend to more observe is that like the thoughts and the things that are coming in my mouth are kind of outside myself in a way it's like like i can can identify like there's a point of generation where it's kind of being launched and i have some ability to reject that or modify it to some degree but for the most part what i'm saying what i'm thinking what i'm doing is not really not really coming from me it's coming from somewhere else it's almost like it's it's a part that's internal to me but it's not a part really identified with myself a lot of times It's almost like a speech generator
1: so is all of this that you're saying is this is sort of leading to an identity discussion, right? Like you're trying to figure is this uh, is this really you that's generating these thoughts, or is there some type of like other force out there that is interacting with you and kind of shaping your thoughts
0: and interacting with you? Kind of, because well, well, I have my own theories and ideas, and uh, like I, I, when you say outside force, I wouldn't say propose or suspect that there is a like an external consciousness outside my brain. I think everything's contained to the brain, but I also think that maybe the brain is segmented in a way where it's not like, like it gives this illusion that there's a single consciousness and it gives certain like abilities for control and feedback mechanisms and mechanisms, but it's not necessarily just like say uh, just a single entity acting. It's like there's maybe part of my brain that's generating dialogue and thoughts and ideas, and maybe it's amalgamating into this kind of conscious experiment. maybe like I'm part of that conscious experience experience, but maybe it's not just me. maybe it's different parts of me, or maybe there's like multiple consciousness kind of interacting into a it. like a unified consciousness, but maybe a unified consciousness goes in, out a stream. it like it sometimes it say uh, overlaps into a single thing. but sometimes it's just different things.
2: Hi, my name is Ashley and I'd like to tell you about my podcast. Hi, my name is Ashley and I'm an introvert. I talk to family and friends as well as co-workers about what it feels like to be an introvert or an extrovert. We also talk about life issues and world issues and whatever hell else we have on our minds. You can listen any and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you. So you're, you're more complex than you think you are? Uh, no, it, that's
0: not quite the thing. I don't feel like I'm unified. And oh. I, I don't know if other people have this unification either. Because, for, for, for instance, uh, I've seen people who seem to have one personality in one circumstance, another person in another circumstance, and it's almost like they're different people. It's kind of like there's, like they have the same experience of being the same person, the same the same thing, but it it's unclear whether there are just like a single personality in there or a single kind of uh, identity, and whether the identity is more context derived or if it's say situationally derived, or you know maybe there's some self influential point of view, and you know I bring this up partially in regard or in conversation with Patrick because there's certain Buddhist ideas that. Like I've I've looked at because it kind of goes along with my experience to some degree. Because in in certain Buddhist teachings, there is an idea that there is no self; that there's simply like many voices, kind of uh, you know tricking you that they are the self. But then you realize that these voices are distinct and separate. But I don't know if that's true or not, and I don't know if my I've also done a lot of meditation too, so there's that to it as well. But I don't I don't know if I am like. Not not exactly crazy, but I don't know if I'm seeing something where there's nothing or if there's nothing and I'm seeing something. And I want to get other people's perspective. So I, I would ask one thing too. What would you say is your
1: purpose in life? In in just a couple sentences? Uh well, there we go. No purpose. I don't think there's a purpose. So okay, stop there. Because I think there's a correlation between identity and purpose. And I think that it actually relates to what you're saying. I think that the different voices that you're hearing and the conflicting dialogues is really your mind searching for what it's supposed to be narrowed in on, right? That's part of the human experience is that we're constantly trying to determine why we're here, right? And our brain interprets different signals that we encounter um, in In this context, so when you're saying people, sometimes they act differently in one situation as they would in another, I mean, that could be because we're searching for where we fit in
0: in this context, right? Have you ever felt that way? Felt like I've been trying to search for a context or like a certain purpose. And
1: for some reason, maybe that's not discernible to you at first, you have a much stronger reaction in one situation. I know this has happened to me. I'm just curious if it's happened to you. Give me an example of your situation. So, I mean, like you might hear this is pretty common in the workplace, right? You might hear maybe some people who are kind of badgering each other, right? Maybe there's one employee that tends to be given a hard time by the others for whatever reason. And it could be the exact same thing because there have been times when I've stood up for that person who's being badgered and other times when I don't. And in I can think of two situations specifically where the person that was being bullied really was not someone I knew very well and I had no stake in it. But one time I stood up for that person and another time I didn't. And looking back on it, the only discernible difference that that stands out to me is that it was because of the type of person that was doing the bullying. So was it me reacting a certain way and thinking, okay, okay, in the way that I saw it, one situation seemed like it was a little bit more innocent than the other, and that maybe my purpose is supposed to be that I should stand up for these people
0: or or what? You know, I ask myself these questions. Why do I react differently? I see so so you acted in a certain way, and based off the circumstance, you expect your actions to be the same, but they weren't. And you're trying to figure out what that main determinant is. and i, I like I kind of see that may, maybe not in. That is that kind of scenario, but there's a lot of times where I act a certain way, and I kind of have an inkling of why I was doing it. So let's let's say for me, in that same instance, I stand up for one person but not the other. Uh, I might do it because, hey, I'm a little bit tired today. Eh, I'd rather just take it a little bit easier. I mean, I might come up with some sort of rationale like, oh, hey, you know, this, this is not the right thing. Cause this guy, he's going to beat me up or something like that. Or, you know, let's let this play out for today. And if it happens tomorrow, then I'll get stepped in, you know, I'll step in it. But I, I, th- I think that more often than not, my, my reasons are usually very stupid. Like, Hey, like I'm tired or, uh, my foot kind of hurts. I really don't want to walk over there. That seems like too much work. Uh, like not not good reasons but
1: yeah sometimes it it could be that way for me but i think also quite often i'm very aware of my trajectory not necessarily the individual actions but you know like i go on these crusades every few months or so i'm gonna say oh well you know what i actually want to do with my life is this right and because i'm now on this crusade i'm in this mindset right i might react differently to things around me because i'm I'm trying to process that in light of my current pursuit. I mean, uh, meter, what about you? What's your
2: experience? It's always interesting to me to kind of along the same lines of like thinking out conversations beforehand, um, like thinking out situations beforehand, like what would I do in a situation? And, you know, I think most of us will have a feeling of, I think I would react this way. And then there's other situations where we're like, I wouldn't know unless I was in the moment. But and ultimately, we never really know until we're in the moment. Because I think what you're saying is true, of the both of you. Uh, like where what your frame of mind is in that moment, be it your foot hurts or you're on a specific crusade, can help determine what your action is in any moment. So every moment in and of itself, every decision becomes subjective. I don't think that there is a like uh one way that any person would act in any in in every situation i think that it's going to depend on all of the factors involved which are pretty near impossible to predict ahead of time
0: there's an interesting sort of priming that can happen uh priming being like you're exposed to something this makes you more you say uh likely to act in a certain way so like I'm not one to usually get myself involved in things. And maybe that's a good part of me. Maybe that's, you know, criticize. I'm I'm probably underplaying myself quite a bit. You know, probably what people, some people would say, but uh, I was passing by this house one time and uh, I see this fire and it looks like it's coming from the house. And part of me was saying, oh, well, if the house is on fire, there's plenty of people going down the street, they're going to notice it and they'll call the, you know, the fire department and, you know, they get it fixed and whatever. But as I'm passing by the house, uh, you know, early that day, I'd watched a show called My Hero Academia. And it's, it's an anime. It's a great anime. Definitely check it out. And it's about heroes and training and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's very cool. But there's a whole idea about what it means to be a hero and how if people are in danger, you should just act and just kind of just go for it. And so as I'm passing by this house, you know, which I think usually I would have just kept on going, I started thinking, that's not the right thing to do. And I ended up pulling around and, you know, ends up that there's just like a brush like fire behind the house and everything was fine and everything. But, you know, I still kind of went behind. And in, in a way, I don't think there would have been an impetus if I hadn't watched My Hero that day. I may have not even noticed the fire. But the fact that I, you know, that was in my mind, it caused my behavior to be different and i wanted to say that maybe there was some internal being to myself but that was i feel like that was completely circumstantial outside of myself maybe there's like an ecosystem in which that's kind of stimulus interacts in and kind of can what came to fruition in but i don't i can't really identify that action being an action i took myself
1: okay so essentially what what you're kind of getting into now is that identity is a construct of environment that it's not you're saying that your identity is malleable and that it changes depending on what stimuli is around you. Is that
0: a simple oversimplification or it's a, I I think it's a good way to get it across. I wouldn't say it's, As pure construct, because I think there's one way of saying it, which is that identity is simply a construct, and you know everything is you know say socially defined. And I I don't think that's true, because I think that you know even if society has impact on your choices and decision, I think there's a part of you and your brain that which is you know say uh, capable in itself. So I think there's self generative ability, in that it's more of an interaction. And in any given circumstance, there's how much of this interaction is you or the environment, and I could probably say that some people, like, I think meter, personally, is probably more self-determined than environmentally determined to some degree, because uh, we, we've had certain conversations that may lead be to believe that. I, 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 I don't know about myself, because I feel like sometimes I might self-isolate a little bit from people because I get affected by them too much. Like, I feel like I'm less me if I get involved with other people. If that makes any sense, I feel like the more I expose myself to an environment, the more the environment shapes me. So sometimes I try to retain myself or my sense of control over myself by, say, you know, having myself reflect inward as opposed to outward, or you know, being having like shine and kind of reflect in me. I, I'm not sure if that's making any sense, but yeah, yeah, I would say d- definitely social construct related, but also m- maybe a, I, I'm not saying that there isn't say personal identity, but I'm also saying how much does that personal identity matter and what is that personal identity?
1: So, I mean, the, the concept of self is really kind of abstract, but if we have to try and make this a little, conversation a little bit more concrete, I think one thing that I would probably ask about all this would be, why is it important to understand the self, right? What is the net gain for us to understand what self is? And I would start that discussion by saying that it correlates to happiness in some way. And I'd be curious to know what you guys think about that. I'll pass that to Peter.
2: Um, can you, can you give me a
1: better so, example? So how, how does self identity relate to happiness? Um, I would say that a lot of what we do is based on that, right? Because for example, my own self identity, I know that I'm introverted. I know that about myself. I also know that I tend to be deep thinking, romanticizing, which these are not always positive qualities, but because I know these things about myself, then I know that writing is something I can do that's going to help to enhance those traits. You know, those those traits can be used positively when I'm writing. I also know that it makes me happy to do that, right? So it, it helps me to not only progress my skills, but to sort
2: of live a good life. I feel like... um Identity is at like as a part of life. So, and life's entire, it's like its entire thing is that it continues to change. So, to say that anything is like part of who you are, I think is just setting yourself up to, to like hold yourself in a position that may not always exist. I think that we evolve over time. Uh, when I was a kid, green was my favorite color, and then it became orange, and then it went back to green again. And like over time, I've I've gotten appreciation for other colors that I didn't have appreciation for before. And maybe that has to do with some memories that I have that blue has a certain tie to me for for certain memories that make me feel a certain way. So it makes me feel a certain way that it didn't make me feel before. Uh, and those are all really inconsequential things how I feel about color but they can also have a lot of deeper meaning things because if I see somebody wearing that shirt, maybe it influences how I look at them. Um, And I can use it in the way that you're talking to, I know this thing about myself right now and I can use it to influence how I feel right now. I can paint this room blue if blue makes me happy. And right now that may be beneficial, but I don't think that, I think the big thing about identity is that people hold on to what they feel is true about themselves, forgetting that that is subject to change and it can change over time and it can change instantly where something can happen that now I don't like blue anymore. And now this room is no longer a happy room. Now this is a horror room. Um, so do I need to change my environment again to, because my identity has changed something that I see of myself has changed. So in, yeah,
1: I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I totally agree because what you're saying is a buddhist concept and really it's it it's the concept of impermanence and the concept of grasping and so grasping basically means that you are always wanting or desiring some certain thing and the the want of that thing is what causes suffering and so by understanding that life changes and that things are impermanent even the self being impermanent is a way to actually bolster one's own happiness which seems counterintuitive to when you first think about it because you're essentially saying i have no concrete identity which at first seems alarming but actually in the long run you're happier for it because you learn to appreciate the changes in yourself and in the environment around you and understanding that everything's impermanent
0: that's something that i've always had a hard time grasping i mean the idea that people have set identities because it seems like people believe they have that because like I I hear you know say here's a stereotypical example like you know a guy might say he's in the blondes or a girl might say she only dates uh guys with goatees or something and it's kind of like I I I I, okay Peter stop laughing
2: you have to pick something that you yourself have (laughs) you're like guys with You know, really nice brown eyes or slick back hair or uh, shit happens when you party naked shirt or pretty lips (laughs) or those beautiful lips. But
0: it's like there's certain things like they say, I'm only into this. And it always kind of sounds to me like it's not something it's like the fact they're, they're stating about themselves as if it's not observational about what they're actually into. Because, you know, you'll see a lot of these people actually kind of go against that thing. But okay, let's say the girl or a guy who says, that, oh, I'm really into, you know, this thing. And then they'll just watch that thing because they say they're into it. And it it's like, like I, I get it, but it's like the self-identity fulfills the prophecy of the self-identity. What's wrong with that? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but it's not something I really like I'm more in the camp that you guys were talking about where identity is kind of like a thing in the moment. And I don't really know what my identity is. Like I I have a hard time placing anything firm in, in the stone. Whereas other people, and again, this is the, the thing that I'm trying to maybe bring up point kind of poorly is that other people have this firmer graphs of what they are. And I'm not that sure if that's some sort of self delusion and it's like self-fulfilling prophecy. I am this. And therefore they start to act like that. Like they, are acting in accordance with that, or if that is in itself actually just who they are. And it's a very stable. Both. Yeah, I
1: agree. It's both. And I wouldn't say that it's bad either, because you could go through your entire life self-reinforcing. So if you say, I'm into blondes, right? And you only ever date blondes, maybe they're all really hot blondes and you're really happy about it. Right. So it it might not make you unhappy, but the the point of understanding the malleable nature of the self is that you might be missing out. You might not know that you're missing out, but it's it 's just to suggest that if you want to live your fullest life that you should be open to different interpretations of everything, including yourself
0: i think I think my self identity is involving not liking fish because it it tastes bad i that, mm-hmm. that's that's definitely self reinforcing but you know, I try fish and I'm like, yeah, this sucks. So Mm -hmm. is that really, I think that's really who I am.
2: I just hate fish. And that's fine. And someday there may be some fish that you try that you do like, and then you have to change your perspective of, do I really hate fish or do I just hate those specific ones that I've had before? Or did I just hate the way that they were prepared that time? Or, you know, there's a lot of different things I've had. uh, Growing up, I had all these dishes that I didn't think I liked this certain type of food because there was a lot of cilantro used or a lot of lemon. And I didn't like cilantro or lemon, so I thought I didn't like those foods. And then I had those foods without that spice, and all of a sudden, I liked those foods. So I think the the idea is that maybe what you think you don't like, you actually do like, you just don't like it in the context that you've been presented it.
1: Hmm. Right, exactly. And maybe there are contexts you don't know about, Right. Like in the example I was saying before, like if you only ever date blonde girls, right? And it, maybe there was a brunette girl at some point that liked you, but it but nothing ever happened. And then she hated fish too, but you never knew it, right? Because
2: you only ever dated blonde girls. The typical meat cute. You both hate fish. You're at the fish counter throwing out fish, and your hands, your fish touch.
1: That would be an and awesome it, thing it, to bond it, over. We find, we find out later that she does everything in spreadsheets, too. Oh, just spreadsheet. <gasps> spreadsheets? Like, right? You never met this woman because you're only
0: into blondes. Oh, man. Well, you know, you know. I, so I think all this is trying to say is there's always more fish in the sea. Something like that. Now, okay. Yeah. So, so I feel like we kind of shifted a little bit. Uh, just... I know, Mita, you don't have too much more time. Is that right? Um, no, I'm good. Okay. Uh, I want to get a little bit on the Buddhist perspective because you talked a little bit about impermanence, Patrick. Uh, what does that mean exactly?
1: Well, it, it just means that nothing lasts forever. And it, it simply means that it, it will never be in the same context. So... It might be that something is physically there for as long as you're aware of it, but it's never precisely the same. So if you go to the Grand Canyon for the first time, for example, the experience that you have seeing that the first time will never happen again. The next time that you go back to the Grand Canyon, you might still have a good experience and it might still be amazing, but it will never be the same as the first time you saw it. And this is true of marriage as well. And a lot of people will tell you this, you know, when you've been married a long time, things can get stale, you know, but you still love each other, but it's not the same as when you started dating because there was that romanticism about it and, you know, everything was new and it was all an adventure and there are still different types of adventures later in marriage, but they're not the same. And so if you're always expecting a certain thing or again going back to what i was saying before grasping you know if you're saying i want a certain thing for my marriage and what you want is unrealistic because it, it's you can't have that again right then you're going to be too focused on that to enjoy the new experiences
0: that are good in different ways it's, it's kind of like a philosophical saying it's one of the ancient philosophers that said that no man steps through the same river twice and it's kind of the same thing where you know you might see a river that looks familiar but it's not the same river as it once was before and you know the water might be different as well you know it might might flow slightly differently and in the same way kind of memories like that and also re-experiencing things (laughs) because some things are actually better the second time you kind of like say go through them so like you might go somewhere it might be all right but then you go a second time and knowing what you know from the first time, it's actually much better. But there's also certain things that have that repetition and repetitive nature where maybe some of the excitement from it, like a new relationship, is the fact that it's new. And when the novelty will, you know, wears off, it stops becoming as, say, in, in, enjoyable. And it's, it's unclear what that says about identity except in that maybe when we grasp onto things and kind of want things to be different, although they're the same, it's kind of, it's kind of unrealistic in ourselves. You know, it's a little bit unrealistic the expectation. Maybe that expectation changes the way reality is. And, and is that the idea why you may not grasp anymore or why you try not to grasp?
1: Yeah, exactly. And just to comment on you saying that sometimes the second time is better. That's because grasping works in reverse too. So when you want something to be a certain way and it doesn't happen, There's suffering in the form of disappointment. But similarly, when you expect something to be bad and it turns out to be good, in in this instance, you have a better experience because you you went into it thinking it was bad. Like you went to a restaurant and it sucked. And then you went to it a second time and you had a better experience because your first experience wasn't good, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's also a way that you can sort of mitigate those biases, right? And that's by not grasping onto negative emotions. So it's okay to feel a negative emotion, like I had a bad experience today, right? But the ideal thing to do would be to let that go because then the next time that you go into that restaurant, you come in with an with an open mind and maybe have a better experience. But if your bitterness was was great enough, then maybe you never go back, right? So there's certainly a balancing act between how we expect things to come to us and at the same time how we kind of hang on to experiences that we've had
0: mm-hmm. i feel like i am very negatively biased but i also feel like i'm very optimistic like I, it, well, one thing's for certain like i, I kind of I, I don't have if i have a bad experience somewhere i usually don't re-experience thing. i just kind of stop going there but with people most people I like in general, but there's some people where it's like every day I see them, I change my opinion on them. I like uh, people I used to work with, for instance, it's like wh- one day I work with them. Like, okay, this person's cool. They're all right. Okay. They're a little bit annoying, but whatever. And the next day I'm like, I never want to see this person again. Please God, no. And he, I, I don't know if that perception is just internal to me and maybe this how I'm acting or if that person's having their off day. It's probably a little bit of both, but I, I kind of wonder if that's, the same with my self-perception as well because maybe some days i'm having good you know self perceptive days where i'm able to say keep my attitude upbeat and everything like this and maybe other days i'm not
2: and maybe those days i'm like i don't know more like Bleh. Um, it sounds like you might heighten experiences um to and kind of elongate them to say that this is how things always are every time you account or come into contact with something or someone versus seeing everything as as evolving and changing and the fact that things will be different over time just because you the first time you meet someone they are a certain way doesn't mean that they're always that way I don't think it's uncommon I don't think it's it's weird or even wrong or even necessarily bad I just think it it might be a truth of yours I I feel like
0: it I feel like that's kind of true, because if something's negatively biased, then I expect that thing to be negative, like, for the rest of eternity. I know that's not true. I know it's not rational. And, you know, in in my brain, it's definitely not like, oh, this is going to be like this. But, like, definitely the night before I go to bed or whatever, I'm just like, oh, this is going to suck so bad. Oh, God, I don't Mm want to see this person. Uh, but. If something is, say, positively biased, then I'm very much open to that change and that evolution and kind of those different experiences, those different things happening. Um, I mean, here, here's an example. I went took a trip to New York City uh, this year or last year or whatever. And there was not really any parts of that trip that was bad. I mean, certainly there's parts that you could be considered to be a hassle, but a little bit bad or whatever. I don't know what you'd say exactly. But it was all just an experience. I mean, there was like no i mean it was either fun or huh this is interesting it's just kind of like those two levels and it's it's like i actually find myself craving to want to go back there because it, it, it was this either interesting even if it was a hassle like we had a whole big issue with the subway system and getting it figured out and it's like very complex We're like where are we going and we just got lost for a while but that's kind of the fun is getting lost and just being really confused and eventually figuring out how to get home and back to the, the uh the uh, hotel
1: Yeah, and it's that example. So it's okay to react to things, right? So when we're talking about not grasping, that doesn't mean that you can't have a positive or a negative emotion. What it means is that you should experience that emotion in the moment and then be open to new experiences. So let's say that you had trouble on the subway and it was irritating, and maybe for a little while you we're frustrated because you wanted to be doing something different on the vacation. Right. But then you find your way eventually a couple hours later. And the question is now, do you let go of that frustration and enjoy the rest of the day? Or do you kind of let that attitude bleed into the rest of the stuff you're doing? Because I don't know about you, but I know people like that where I've gone to concerts with them and like, we can't find parking Or there's rude people sitting next to us or something. And the people that I'm with, just they're focused on that for way longer than they should be. And we should be enjoying the concert. So really the idea behind grasping is like, okay, I really love this, or I really don't love this. And it's okay to feel that way, but it doesn't exist now because nothing's permanent. And so I'm not going to hold on to that because I want to enjoy the rest of my life.
0: How do you kind of perceive yourself, Meter? Do you feel like you
2: grasp a lot, or do you feel like you're just in the moment? I, I try really hard not to, uh, like, anticipate um, to the best of my ability. But you know, I also uh, I I enjoy getting getting excited for something that's coming up. You know, on Thursday night, I'm anxious all day Friday during the day because I know Friday night I'm doing D and D that's really, really fun. I have a lot of fun with those people. Um, and I, we have not had a single session yet where it hasn't been fun. Uh, and I don't, it makes Friday very long, but it also adds to Friday cause it's the anticipation is a part of the experience for me. Um, the, the letdown is when, you know, something like you're, you're excited for something and then it doesn't end up happening or it doesn't live up to that. And that can be disappointing, but I think that's a normal part of life, and I don't see any issue with anticipating things or getting excited about things or um, not wanting to do things, not wanting to have to go out um, and, and go to the go to the doctor or go to the dentist or whatever, you know, responsible thing you're supposed to be doing. I personally don't see an issue with not liking doing those things and anticipating those and, and feeling that feeling. Um, will it maximize my overall happiness in life to act one way or another? Maybe. But is that really the genuine human experience? I I don't know. All I'm doing is just trying to live, uh, understand the emotions that are going on inside me in in any moment, I think that is really difficult in and of itself to like, what am I feeling right now? Because it's always so complicated. And if I can ever grasp onto that and actually understand, This is what I'm feeling right now. And this is why I'm okay with that. That's really interesting. Uh, Thanks for sharing. And I think that it's
1: also worthy of note, while very pessimistic, another assertion of the Buddhist teachings is that all life is suffering. Actually, it's the first of the four noble truths. Um, So when we talk about, is it worth it to try and maximize our happiness? it's not clear if we'll ever actually do that. So will there always be some degree of grasping? Probably, you know, in, unless we became enlightened beings, but the, the chances are most of us aren't going to. So I happen to agree that it's, it's not bad in small doses to have some things that you dislike and other things that you really look forward to. But I think that it's when we just take those emotions really to the extreme and we hang on to them for long periods of time. That that's bad for us. And I can definitely speak from experience. Like I've gone through bouts of depression, and a, a large component to those depressions have always been desire for change and a perception that something about myself has failed to bring about that change. You know, like I might say, I wish I was wealthier, and That is harmless at first when I say that it seems like, you know, I'm just saying if I was wealthy, I would spend more time on the beaches, you know, and it seems harmless. But over time, that sort of thinking seeps into who I am and it underlies everything I do. So like when somebody else gets promoted at work, that thought comes into my mind like, well, that person just got promoted and I'm still here. So I'm not getting wealthier. You know, and that is just not the way I should be looking at things, but because I have that sort of long-term desire to have something I don't have, that it, it creates suffering.
2: I don't think it has to, though. I think you can have goals and ambitions without it having to be a negative thing. I love having something that I'm striving towards, something that makes me feel like I'm moving forward towards something. Um, and then when I reach that goal, that's great, and to prevent emptiness afterwards, have more goals i don't I don't personally see issue with setting goals and either reaching or not reaching them. I think the
0: counter there would be that life is suffering, but you can fill that suffering with motivation goals and say a life purpose like like that can overcome the the internal kind of the state of uh despairment that humanity is in like it's
1: true what you're saying absolutely it's okay to have goals i think everybody should have them but i think it depends on how how you frame it because having a goal is different than having an expectation and the the assertion behind grasping is that you have an expectation of that happening so you can have a goal of, say, I, I'm going to be wealthier, or I would, I would like to get myself to a certain level of wealth, right? And to work towards that is productive, and it can bring about fulfillment. But to say, I expect to be wealthy by a certain age is a different claim, because then let's say that I'm 35, and I'm not wealthy, and that was what I said I was going to do. Then to some degree, that causes me suffering, because... I see it as personal failure, maybe, or perhaps worse. I take an external locus of control and I say that it's impossible because of the circumstances I was born into. And then all of a sudden I'm now in this world where things are hopeless for people like me. And so I think that you have to have goals, but you have to frame them as I'm going to achieve these through hard work and through, you know, personal perseverance, but, I don't expect anything to come of it. I don't expect to be given anything.
0: There's an interesting story I heard on a financial podcast. So this financial guy was a financial consultant for a while, and he was talking about how one of his clients was super driven, like super motivated to, you know, retire at sixty with or sixty five or whatever it might be with. This huge asset, you know, pile, and just lived off that for the rest of his life in super reliable comfort. You know, travel the world, do everything he wanted to do in retirement, and he had tons and tons of plans. And they all talked about those plans and planned it out to each and every detail. And he worked like eighty hours a week. He did not have any free time. He York his family. You know, he he just essentially was isolated. And he gets to sixty five. He retires, and then he gets in that car crash and dies. And okay. so he had that end in mind, which was to retire and live his life to the fullest. And to reach that end, he had his means, and the means made him miserable. He was not, I guess, a fun guy to be around. He was very driven and everything, but he did not get enjoyment from his job. Like, his job sucked. He did not get enjoyment for his life. He didn't spend time with his family. and And it's kind of what Patrick's saying, in that if you get too focused on the end... And you lose the overall picture, then that could lead you into even greater suffering than you m- might be, because you know and that's the thing I'm worried about. Sometimes is if I get too focused on a path, then maybe I won't enjoy the present. If I don't enjoy the present, and if I die tomorrow from a brain hemorrhage or whatever it might be, then you know what does you know that uh, what does that suffering really matter? What does that really what does that work really do? Like I could work eighty hours a week and you know build up a bunch of money, but is that really going to improve my life and my aspects? You know, maybe improve something potentially, but that's provided I'm alive, you know, for the next, you know, car accidents happen all the time. You know, it's always possible to to just get caught up in a bad accident. So I think a balance is probably necessary.
2: Yeah, balance is, I 100% agree. Balance is necessary. But I don't think that should mean that you shouldn't plan for wanting future happiness and now happiness. And I don't think that they are mutually exclusive. I agree. As
1: I said, I think that goals uh, provide fulfillment and they're an important part of life, but I'm just speaking from experience that I've been somebody and a negative quality of mine is that I'm always sort of taking this external perspective of things like that. My current circumstances are because of X, Y, and Z, right? Like a lot of times I don't attribute to the self. And then in recent years, when I've come to realize this about myself, I do the opposite where I do an extreme sort of internal blaming where everything that happens is because I'm not good enough, right? And so it, it's not that really, it's it's that sometimes we just don't meet goals. And like you said, we just make different goals and we just try to enjoy the moment that we're in, right? But like Nathan was saying about missing out on things that you're doing now because of the end, I've done that too, uh, more than once, actually. And it's cost me relationships, and it, it's cost me happiness. So it, it's certainly something that I consider every day.
0: It's kind of funny how the fundamental attribution error being like, say, attributing certain properties to, say, external, internal means always goes between these two different like uh, posts. I mean, it, it tends. So either, you know let's say that you see somebody, you know, walking down the street and they slip and fall. Uh, you might say that this person fell because they're clumsy, right? They they they're kind of just like uncoordinated. You know, you you attribute their falling to aspects of their personality. That person who fell probably thinks, "Oh man, like, this, this cement was not very well laid out. Or, oh, my shoes are kind of uh, starting to, you know, go bad. So they put, like, an external, say, cause to their actions and behaviors. And similar way, you know, you could talk about this from an internal perspective. You could talk about how you have some sort of failure or success. And you might say, this was a result of me, myself. Or you might say, this is a result of my externalities, you know, the things around me. Maybe the people around me. Maybe, you know, just the circumstance. But it's very seldom that people go somewhere in between. Like This is me and my environment. This is both happening concurrently. And it's very rare that that happens. And I I, I tend to, I don't know, be more on the external side with how I perceive things. Uh, And again, I think it's because I somewhat see myself as somewhat external myself. Because I do see there's internal aspects to myself. But I also have a hard time controlling those internal aspects. And I, I feel like there's more outside of me that's
2: in control than the inside. I feel like your tripping example is very indicative of what we were saying earlier that you take single instances and extrapolate that to be the norm. um that you see someone trick, trip and you instantly think that's how what well, they always trip. They're just clumsy person. That probably wouldn't be what I think. I would probably try and examine the entire situation. And really understand why did this happen and come up with two or three possible reasons and then leave it at that. And then if I get more data, extrapolate further where you seem to take a single point of data and come to a conclusion based on that being a constant. It's very fascinating.
0: I have to think about that. Uh, Just for uh, clarification, not that this needs to be dead, but Mm -hmm. when I tend to view people acting in any sort of way, I tend to view it from an external point of view in that Mm -hmm. – it's not that they're clumsy; it's that things external to them, their environment, is causing them to act in that way. And they might have capabilities, and it's just that those capabilities were, say, thwarted by a, a bad, badly made sidewalk, or you know, maybe there's internal capabilities too. But so you might you might see someone who's really nervous you know, giving a speech and they're stuttering and all this kind of stuff. But you can see the person kind of fighting against that and they're fighting against their body. The externality in that sense is the body in the way that tripping over on their own kind of like nervous system. So, so I, I tend to view in more than a few and it's kind of how I view myself as well. And it, maybe the generalization is there, like what, what you're saying, but, but I just want to say it's in the opposite point of view or opposite end. Like, like I don't attribute things to the person themselves more to the externalities of that person. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I see what you're
0: saying. I think
1: that we've got a pretty good grasp of the the sort of spectrum of what makes up identity and how we perceive it in the world, right? And I, I just kind of want to make one comment that's somewhat unrelated, but it it draws me into this space, and I've observed it before, and it's that I'm not a religious person, never have been, wasn't raised that way. I don't. I, I tend to be more on the side of science, but I have to tell you that when you talk about things like identity and locus of control and you know what brings about happiness in life, it does make me understand religion in the sense that faith it sort of provides something for those instances where you want to grasp or maybe you want to assign blame or you, you're wondering why your circumstances are a certain way you know and and faith gives you an answer to that which you can't find rationally i mean look we've been discussing this for like an hour here and there's many different ways to look at it but ultimately whatever you say is going to be subjective right so if if you assert to yourself that there's some sort of objective overlying reason behind all this you know that and it's faith based right then it it makes you feel better I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm saying I understand it.
0: Yeah, because, well, I, I, I mean, you felt the pit of nihilism yourself, Patrick, and, I, you know, I i don't – I'm not going to say I'm like naturally nihilistic, but I, I can – that's kind of my default personality is – I mean, I, I try to find the good. I try to find a purpose, but overall, I don't think there's any meaning in life. I don't think there's any greater purpose, and I, I – you know – and try to carbon meeting out, but it, it's like the nihilism is, is kind of like true in a factual sort of way, and I, I, th- I think that's the big thing. He- Meter, you're
2: looking kind of weird. I that's just an interesting statement. You just, nihilism is true in a factual way. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if humans
0: weren't here, nothing would matter, nothing would exist. I mean, because does anything matter? And there it is. I, see, as I said, as I said in the podcast, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think nihilism is maybe true in a philosophical sense or like a personal, humanital humanity-based sense. So I, I, I'm not saying that this needs to be true of humanity because I think humanity can create its own meaning. But the the meaning it creates is from a place of the void of meaning, the void of purpose, and you know, so it's a self-driven, self-created purpose. But it's it's nothing that's intrinsic to reality, to nature.
1: And I've been there, too. I know what you're talking about is that you're, it, when you start to think in terms of nihilism, then all of your experiences tend to reinforce it. So it's a very difficult pit to escape from. And all that I'm really saying is that people who have some sort of faith to defer to have a little bit easier time avoiding that because they don't have to apply any type of rational explanation to why things are happening. Right. And, and to them it's rational because it, that's their faith. So again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it, it's just to me, it, sometimes I wish I had that, but you know, having not grown up with that and being of a secular mind, I don't think that I personally could ever have that kind of faith. I don't
2: think those things are mutually exclusive either. how so I think you I think you can have rationalism and faith at the same time. I mean, you can have faith in in something while also looking for a rational answer and a lot of times looking for the rational answer is a big part of the faith in and of itself.
1: Well, you can
2: be rational about certain things
1: and you can also have faith in events to. Play out a certain way, but when we're talking about the like grand scheme of the human journey and what it means and why we exist, right? If you just have a general nihilism about the human race and you think that people are generally bad and that you have this external locus of control that there are many things I don't control that are going to happen to me no matter what I do, right? Being able to say something like, "Well, God has a plan." and wherever i'm going you know it's where i'm meant to go that's uh, there's something reassuring about that but if 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 i go through life 31 years right and i've never believed in god i have a very hard time with just turning around and assigning that to anything that happens to me like if i'm feeling down i can't just assign that to it's some higher power somewhere that's testing me or putting me through this so that I'm a better person, right? I just can't do that. And so do I have to be negative? Do I have to have nihilism about it? No, I don't. But I just don't have that deference that people who have
2: those beliefs have. I don't think faith is always reassuring. That's interesting. Why do you say that? Because you can still question why things happen to you, even if you think they're for your, in your best interest. And I don't think that faith is a catch-all for every single thing that's ever happened to me is because of choices outside of myself, because of choices by a higher power. I think that cause and effect still come into play, that if I step on the end of a rake and it hits me in the face, it's because I stepped on the end of the rake. I didn't get hit in the face with a rake because God wanted me to get hit in the face with a rake. That was my action that did that. I think you can still have action while still believing that there is some sort of higher power um, that has influence on the world as a whole. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that they influence, that they are the decision maker for everything that happens. They can be a heavy influencer or have a general idea. You build an aquarium, but you don't make the decisions that the fish make within the aquarium you can change that aquarium anytime you want. You can take it away. You can make a new one. You can have more fish. You can take fish away. That aquarium still exists. The fish still can make their own decisions. And they can still have faith that I exist. That's a great point. You know, just based
1: on that little exchange, I think we should at some point do the topic fate versus destiny, because
0: I think we'd have some interesting feedback on that. That sounds great. It plays a lot into free will, too. And it's kind of the idea with identity as well. Because is identity self-determined or is it determined by environment? Is there some kind of interlap between the two there? And we've been going on for about an hour now. So uh, we'll probably bring this topic to close, especially since, I mean, I am sweating very much because my AC has been off. Meter looks like he's been sweating and Patrick's. Oh, no, I'm just naturally greasy. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. And and, and, and Patrick looks like he's actually in a nice cool room. No, actually, it's sweating hot in here as well. Okay, good. Good, because I th- I think I might need to t- take a shower after this, because this has been a very heartwarming philosophical discussion with our guest Meter, who is from the podcast
2: We Need to Talk. Now, where's We Need to Talk found? Because I can't plug my own shit here. Of course you can. It's found wherever you get podcasts. And uh, what what did I buy? We Need to Talk dot show. That sounds uh, right. Yeah. Well, where, we need to talk. Oh, no, I can't plug it. Yeah, We need to talk.com slash show. Oh. Okay, I'll plug it. No, I think it's we need to talk
0: dot show. That's, that's right. Cause yeah,
2: that redirects to our podcast NH page where you can find our Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher link. Of course, our Patreon, Twitter, which we pretty much don't use, Facebook, and our website, which directs you right back to the same page you're already on. And that's useless. We do go
0: live sometimes, so uh, it's once every couple weeks. Uh, we're going to try to get more announcing that, you know, ahead of time. That way people can, you know, plan for the live broadcast because, you know, we want you to be here. If you have any subjects that we should discuss, you know, to let us know. Uh, that being us, damn, damn, or we need to talk or whatever podcast you might be listening to right now. Who knows? Maybe this is going to be another podcast called We Did Talk.
2: <laughs> we, we talked. <laughs> Damn, we talked.
0: <laughs> uh any closing remarks as I know this was a bit of a can of worms of a subject but I think we went some interesting places. Any remarks yourself Patrick?
1: I think it would be hard to put a definitive summary on that. That was uh very abstract at at times but I enjoyed it, and I hope
2: that the viewers enjoyed it. Meter, yourself? Oh, awesome conversation, as always. Really, really cool to get you guys' perspective, and nobody gets mad at me for saying ridiculous things. It's awesome. Okay, and th- the best way that you can support this podcast
0: is by saying, hey, Pepin, you actually do exist. You exist in our hearts yeah. and in our downloads. So definitely download this podcast right now. Leave it a like, comment, subscribe. Do all the things that you want to do because you have individuality. And this is important. Why? Because damn.